paid for. Though our sins are many, his mercy is greater than that, and it's more. Hebrews chapter number 9. We are moving pretty quick through the book of Hebrews. In a few weeks, it will probably slow down just a little bit, but at least this week and uh, the past couple, we've been doing a whole chapter. And so this chapter has 28 verses. I'm expecting to be done by about 12.15 today, so somewhere in there we'll be done today. And so some of you are, have that nervous laugh, like, is he being serious at all, or is he not? What time did we get out last service? It was 9.42 when we got out last service, and I started preaching at 8.55. And so that gives you a little hint, and there were announcements at the end. And so, and then people took a long time to find Hebrews chapter 9, so it took a while for them to find that, and so the preaching went for a while. I'm going to review for a minute here, and we're going to dive into chapter number 9. If you remember a couple weeks ago, we, the author of Hebrews was getting ready to tell us about Christ being a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Before he does that, he says, I want to tell you about this, but you aren't ready for it. Instead of growing and maturing and teaching people as you grow in the Lord, you're needing the first things repeated to you. And instead of being able to take in the meat of the word, you have to take in the milk of the word, And so he goes through and he helps them understand the importance of growing and moving on in the Christian life and growth. God wants us to grow. Now what we can see from here is that these Hebrew believers, these are saved people, what we see see from the high priest to the sacrifices being made, all these things, we see that some of them had been kind of reverting back into their Judaism to some degree. And the author of Hebrews is trying to remind them that Christ is better than that old system. Christ is better than where you came from, and you need to move forward for the Lord. So after he encourages them in their growth and tells them they're not quite ready for what's coming, he lets them have it. And he tells them about the fact that Christ's priesthood is a greater priesthood than that of Aaron's. And you say, well, why is that? We already covered it, but if you weren't here, the fact is Aaron and the Levites, where where the priests come from, They had to offer sacrifices for their own sins before they could offer sacrifices for the people. And Jesus is a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. We went through, talked about Melchizedek. He's the king of Salem, and he's the priest of the Most High God, king and priest at the same time. Didn't work that way for the children of Israel. They had their priests, and those were the tribe of Levite, and they had their kings of the tribes of Judah. Jesus comes from the tribe of Judah, but he's a priest after the order of Melchizedek. He's both king and priest. And because Jesus is our high priest, as a sinless high priest, we have access to God now through our high priest. But if we have a better high priest, it means there are some other things that are better as well. Now we looked at last week the fact that the old covenant was good, but we have a better covenant today. And we talked about the fact is, God made the Old Covenant. The Old Covenant was not bad or faulty. We were faulty. In the Old Covenant, God's people, God would tell them what they need to do. And they told God, we will do what you say. And then they wouldn't do what God told them to to do. They would say they would do it, but they wouldn't do it. And God says, I'm going to change that. I'm going to put a new heart in you. I'm going to do the work. And when God makes a promise, his promises are always true. Where when we make promises, we don't always fulfill our promise. So the old covenant 
is not as good as the new covenant because God's promises are better. And when God says something, he's going to do what he says. So it only makes sense that if we have a better high priest and a better covenant, a better covenant, it only makes sense that we have a better sanctuary too. So today we're just continuing right on this theme. We have a better sanctuary, a superior sanctuary. Now, let's think for a few minutes back to the Old Testament. Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. And when they sinned, there was that separation between God and men. God would come in the cool of the day, meet with Adam. God forms through Abraham the children of Israel. They're in bondage in Egypt for many years, and they finally get out to start a new nation that God has for them. And God tells them, I want to be with you. I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to come with you. But the thing is, because of sin, God just couldn't go. Because if man saw God in his sinful state, man would die. So God says, you're going to pitch this tent, this tabernacle, outside the camp. And in all reality, as we looked at last week, the tabernacle is just a copy of the original in heaven. And God says, I will come dwell with you. As we look at our text today, you'll notice two parts of the tabernacle are mentioned. The first part, which is the sanctuary, which was the the outer part there, the sanctuary part. The table of showbread was there. We see the golden candlestick was there. This is the area that all the priests did their work in. And then it talks about the second part, which would be, as it says here, the holiest of all, the holy of holies area. Where, in all reality, that second part, the Holy of Holies area, could only be entered one time a year by the high priest himself. After he offered a sacrifice for himself, he would put blood on the mercy seat in the Holy of Holiest area once a year. So the priest would not always go into the Holiest of Holy area till that one time a year, and it was just the high priest. And the thing is, that first sanctuary, the first part of it was important. Because it kept man from getting to a holy God. Where when Jesus died on the cross, the temple veil was torn in two, and man could get to God through Jesus Christ. So as we look here this morning, I want you to realize that old, the, the temporary, the old sanctuary, it was a great thing that God did. But when we look at, and you think about how they built everything, You know, we look today and we see people make furniture and they have all the different tools, the routers and all the fancy tools. They can add all the fancy art to whatever they make. And with all the power tools, it's amazing to see what people can make today. To think how they fashioned all these items in the tabernacle. They didn't have a room full of power tools. They didn't have electricity. So they used the battery op. They didn't have anything to charge the batteries with. So, well, they were in the desert. They could use solar, probably, but they didn't have the solar panels either. They literally used hand tools to form all these things. Amazing what they did. The tabernacle was an amazing place. But you realize something? The children of Israel, that's where God was. When they got the temple, that's where God was. They had to go to the temple and offer sacrifices. They had to go to the temple to worship God. Remember the woman at the well? And how Jesus said, hey, God's a spirit. 
And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. You don't go to a special place to worship God today because of Jesus Christ. That's the big difference. You know, we say today that this is the house of the Lord. Well, let's be honest here. You don't have to come here to worship God. We might have dedicated this property to the Lord, and it's his, but this is not God's dwelling on earth now. He dwells in believers today. That's the be- And when we look here, the better sanctuary is where Jesus is. It's pretty obvious that heaven is better than earth, right? How many of you would agree with that statement? Heaven is better than earth. I think we'd all agree with that. So it only makes sense that if our high priest is in heaven, that his sanctuary is better than the sanctuary here. So what the author does here in chapter number 9, he gives us five reasons why the old sanctuary was inferior to the new sanctuary, and then five reasons why the new sanctuary is better than the old sanctuary. So we got ten things to look at over the next 50 minutes. Here we go. Number one, as we dive in, we see the inferior old covenant sanctuary. Let's read verse number 1 through verse number 10 and put this into context here. It says, Then verily the first covenant had also ordinances of divine service and a worldly sanctuary. For there was a tabernacle made, the first wherein was a candlestick, and the table, and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary, and the second veil. So you see the two parts, as I've already mentioned to you. The second veil, the tabernacle. So you had the sanctuary and then the tabernacle. And the second veil of the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer. And that word censer really is altar. It's the golden altar is what that's referring to right there. And the Ark of the Covenant overlaid round about with gold, wherein was a golden pot that had manna and Aaron's rod that budded in the temple and the tables of the covenant. And over it, the cherubims of glory overshadowing the mercy seat, of which we cannot now speak particularly. Now when these things were thus ordained, the priest went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God. But into the second went the high priest alone once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the heirs of the people. The Holy Ghost, this signifying that the way of the holiest of all was not yet made manifest, while as the first tabernacle was yet standing, which was a figure for the time then present in which we offer both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertained to the conscience, which stood only for meats and drinks and diverse washings and carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of the Reformation. Now as we look at that there, we'll, we'll dive in. You'll understand this better in a few minutes. Let's have a word of prayer together, and then we'll dive into point number one. Father in heaven, we need you this morning. We thank you for your love for your mercy and for your grace. We thank you for Jesus and what he has done in our lives. Pray that you bless the time that we have here this morning, that you'd be pleased and glorified, that you just help us today as we look at this, these facts today and these thoughts. We love you. We need you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. See, number one, the inferior old covenant sanctuary. Well, why was it inferior? Number one, letter A, it was an earthly sanctuary. So it makes it inferior. We see that right away in verse number 1. It says the first covenant and also the ordinance of divine service, a worldly sanctuary. What that means is that the first sanctuary was made by the hands of men, pitched by men. The Jewish people, you think about they brought their gifts. They brought what to build, and the men that built and all the work that went into it, it was quite the process. 
But just like anything we make, it wears out over time, right? Where's the tabernacle today? It's gone. You buy a house before too long, you got to fix something in it. It's part of being in this world. We just had to paint the nursery room and the kitchen because school's been being in there for six years, and the kids dirty the walls up, and they had to be painted. Why? Because things wear out. Your car, thing, earthly things wear out, right? Heavenly things don't. We'll talk about that in a little bit, but earthly things wear out. So it only makes sense that since it's an earthly building, there are weaknesses. There are repairs. Think about this. It was limited to one spot. Wherever they pitched it, it was limited to that one spot. And that's where it was. So if the children of Israel moved camp, they had to move it with them. You think about today, you can only be in one place at a time here on earth, right? And some of you, you know, it's, I'm glad you chose to be in church today. There are others that should have chose church today that are someplace else today. And I know if people could be in two places at once, they'd be in church and their other place at the same time. It doesn't work that way. Here on earth, we can be in one place at a time. And literally, that, there are a lot of weaknesses in the fact that that sanctuary was earthly. Letter B, let's move on here. Letter B. It was a type of something greater. We've already mentioned this, how we looked at last week, the fact that the tabernacle literally is a copy. It's a copy of the heavenly tabernacle and the things that are there. We think about the mercy seat that, was, that they applied the blood on. There's a mercy seat in heaven. The golden candlesticks are in heaven. All these things are in heaven. So it's a copy. You make a copy on a copy machine. The copy is not as good as the original. I mentioned last week, there's only one copy as good as the original. We understand, and that's, there's only one in the world, and it comes to the Bible. You, we don't have originals today. You say, why don't we have originals? Because they're, they were made by the hands of men. So they wear out. God's words pinned by men. But because of inspiration and preservation, the copy is just as good as the original. That's one instance where a copy is just as good. But in most things, you know, you have a birth certificate, you've got to get an original, right? A copy, most places won't do you much good. You need an original. Because an original is better than a copy. So yes, the tabernacle was great, but it was just a copy of things in heaven. You see the things mentioned in the outer sanctuary there. You see in verse number 2, it says, For there was a tabernacle made the first, wherein was the candlestick. And that candlestick in, that, in the sanctuary part, there was a seven-branch golden candlestick. It talks about in Exodus 25, verse 31 through 40, and Exodus 27, verse 20 and 21. And that lampstand, what was the purpose of it? To give light. So in that area where the priests did their work, like this morning, we have the lights on in here, but in all reality, we don't need the lights today. We have the outside light. We can just open up the blinds, and there'll be plenty of light. Tonight, or Wednesday night, you need the lights so you can see what you're doing. And so that lampstand is there in the sanctuary so they could see what they were doing. And we think about the fact that Jesus Christ is the light of the world, right? And that lampstand also was a symbol for the Israelites that they were to be a light to all the other nations that were out there. And for us today as believers, we are to let our light so shine before men that they see our good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven. So that candlestick, it had meaning and purpose. You'll notice the next thing mentioned there was the table and the showbread. 
And so that table that was there had 12 loaves of bread on it, which represented the 12 tribes of Israel. And each Sabbath, the priest would go in and remove the old loaves and put fresh ones on the table. They would eat the old ones and put the fresh ones in. The loaves were called the bread of presence, and the table was the table of presence. It reminded the 12 tribes of Israel that God's presence was there to sustain them as they were wherever they went. And we think about the fact Jesus said that he is the bread of life, right? And he is our sustainer. And we, and we did a series a long time ago. We went through the tabernacle. And every piece in the tabernacle pictures something about Jesus. Everything pictures Jesus because he's superior to anything out there. And Christ is better. And so we see this. Then you see inside of there, you see the second veil there. And it mentions the holiest of holies, the golden censer. That was the golden, the altar that is there. And the altar that is there, what you've got to understand, it didn't, it didn't stand in the Holy of Holies. It ministered pertaining to that. On the Day of Atonement, the high priest would get coals from this altar to burn incense before the mercy seat within the veil. And what would, ha- and what would happen is, and Moses relates the golden altar to the Ark of the Covenant. In Kings, they do that. The priest burnt incense at the altar. David kind of suggests in Psalm 141, too, that the, the, the scent that would come up from there was similar to prayers being offered up to God. And Jesus intercedes for us. There's a lot I could say there. You have the mercy seat. The mercy seat is where the high priest, once a year, would take the blood and apply it on the mercy seat. And so all that you have in the tabernacle is a, it's just a type of something better. So yes, it was great and it worked for them, but it was just a copy because it's already up in heaven. But we weren't up in heaven to have it, so we got a copy of it. Just like if we're being honest with the word of God, it's forever been settled in heaven, right? And so God gave us a copy. So we see, why is it inferior? Because it's an earthly sanctuary. It's a type of something greater. Number three, it was inaccessible to the people. Look at verse 6 and 7. It says, now when these things, and this morning, just bear with me, this is way more of a teaching type message than a preaching type message. But I sincerely believe that if you focus in, you can get something that will help you through this today. Verse 6, it says, now when these things were thus ordained, the priest went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God. You see, the priest went in. The people didn't go in there, did they? No. They didn't go in. The priest did. And then in the second part, in the, where the holiest of holies is, only the high priest alone once a year, not without blood, he offered for himself and for the errors of his people. And so we see the fact here that literally the priest could go into the first part, but only the high priest could go into the second. The people just couldn't go in there anytime they wanted. You can even look later on when they had the temple instead of the tabernacle. There was a court that the Jews could go into, and if you were a Gentile, you couldn't even get that close. And you were still far away from it. But it was inaccessible to the people. You see, the priests and the Levites were the only ones permitted in there. And the priest had to offer, and we see here, he offered a sacrifice for himself and the people. So why is the old sanctuary, the old covenant sanctuary inferior? Well, it's earthly. We see the fact here that it was inaccessible to people. It was just a type of something greater. Letter D. It was temporary. 
it was not to always be. Look at verse 8. It says, The Holy Ghost is signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest, well as the first tabernacle was yet standing. So we see the outer court, that first tabernacle was standing proof that God's salvation for mankind was not complete yet. And when we think about those things, that outer, the first part was there to keep man from getting to God. It was that separation there. And Jesus Christ made it possible that the separation was gone and we could get to God through Jesus Christ. And Jesus had to die. He had to rise again. And so till that happened, that outer sanctuary was necessary to keep man from the holy of holies. And since Jesus applied his blood on the mercy seat, you and I can get access to the holy of holies today through Jesus Christ. This was temporary till Christ died. And then, and you think about Matthew 27, verse 50 and 51. Think about these verses. Jesus, when he cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost, and behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quakes and the rocks rent. What was God saying? You can now come to me. God in his mercy kept that separation there. Because man cannot see God, right? And live. Jesus Christ died. And when he died, the veil is rent in two, and we have access to God now through Jesus Christ. The old sanctuary was temporary. Letter E, and lastly on point number one, its ministry was external and not internal. We look at verse number nine, it says, which was a figure for the time then present in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect. It could not fix us, right? It couldn't complete us as pertaining to the conscience, which stood only in meats and drinks and diverse washings and carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of Reformation. We see the fact that the sacrifices offered, the blood applied to the mercy seat, could not change the heart of anyone. It simply was ceremonial to pass over that sin and cover it up. The old covenant did not change hearts. It was just an external show. And that's where sometimes we as Christians, even we as Baptists, we get caught up in this thing of trying to get people to do all these externals and get them to live this and do this and do that and do this. And sometimes we're no different with what we try and get people to do than what the law tried to do. If someone's heart is changed, they will do what, what they should. You know, well, you got to dress this way, do this, do all those things. Do I think those things are good? Yeah, I think they're good. But I also think that if someone's heart, God will work on them. I've used examples over and over again of different things. We'll have a new Christian come to church. And I remember we had a long time ago, a new Christian came to church, and the shorts that she wore were pretty short. And I had someone come to me and say, Pastor, you need to tell her never to wear those shorts again at church. First of all, it was a guy that told me that, and my first thought and first thing I told him is, first off, just don't look, number one. So it was her first Sunday. And uh, that, that would, it would be a good thing for guys to keep their eyes clean in what you look at. And a married man, you got one woman in your life. You can look at her all you want. Don't be looking at anybody else. 
So that was her first Sunday. She got saved that Sunday. Do you know within a few weeks, she wasn't wearing short shorts to church anymore? And no one told her. The Holy Spirit helped her. Had other people. Oh, that guy's hair was too long. No one told you to be a judge of how long someone's hair should be. So what is, what is short? It's a shame for a man to have, that's what that one verse says. I know what the verse says. And the next verse says that if there's going to be an argument with someone, let them have their hair however they want. That's what the next verse says. That's the gist of it. Say, well, it's got to be tapered just right. You don't know. You say, well, Jesus had, I don't think Jesus had long hair. That's what those pictures show. Where was it at? I don't know, and I really don't care. But let the Spirit of God convict somebody and let him help them know what they need. We, um, there's a church in our town, and that's where we get in trouble, where we start putting rules on people and make them have to follow our rules. There's a church in town that believes in a works-based salvation. They do a lot when it comes to people when they get out of prison. And they used to, we used to have a prison ministry they were a part of, and I split with them over this topic. We were literally sitting in my office, and he said, when people get out of jail, they don't need to know that they're free to do whatever they want in Jesus Christ. They need to know that they need to keep these rules so they can keep Christ. Like, no one made you the Holy Spirit for anybody. That's where we get in trouble sometimes, too. We try to be the Holy Spirit for people. The Holy Spirit knows what he's doing, and he can do his job. Would I like to be the Holy Spirit for some people sometimes? Yes, I would, but that's not my job either. And it'd be nice sometimes. I would love to be your Holy Spirit for five seconds, some of you in this room. But anyways, we'll get off of that. But literally, they, were, they said they literally have rules in place because they want to keep people from going back into the life of crime and those things. If it's all an external show, if you're just conforming, you've got to be transformed. The world's trying to conform us into their pattern. We don't need to be disconforming people into our pattern. They need to be transformed by the renewing of their minds. There's a lot more I could say there, but we look at the old sanctuary. It was earthly. It was just a type. It um, was inaccessible to the people. It was temporary. It was external. So the question becomes, what makes the new sanctuary so much better? And I'm glad you asked, because that gives us the rest of the message. Number two, we see the superior heavenly sanctuary. Now, some of these points are going to be really hard to understand, all right? First one especially, Ray. Why is the heavenly sanctuary superior? Letter A, are you ready? It's heavenly. It's heavenly. Look at verse 11. It says, But Christ being come and high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building. So you say, well, why is the new sanctuary better? First reason, it's heavenly. And it's pretty easy there. Yeah, the earth is a, isn't the earth a beautiful place? It is. And you see the beauty all around, or as Andrew saying about God's coloring book a little bit ago, you see the beauty of things around us, the beautiful mountains, the beautiful ocean, all of those things. This is a sin-cursed world, and it's still this beautiful. Think about heaven. I hath not seen, nor ear heard, nor entered into the heart of men the things that God hath prepared for those that love him. Even the best thoughts we have, what heaven's going to be like, doesn't compare to what heaven is truly like. And the fact that this sanctuary is in heaven and not on earth, that makes it so much better right there. Think about it. It doesn't get any better than that. My mother-in-law is visiting came out just the other day. A while back, she moved from Minnesota to northwest Indiana. 
I lived in northwest Indiana for four years in Bible college. And I would say it is the armpit of America right there. It's about the perfect spot. There's like, there's like, there's like, think, there's like seven days a year that are perfect weather. And then it's either humid and hot or it's freezing beyond cold. And there is no in between. Yes, it's green in the summer, but you just step outside. You know, last week we were all complaining about the humidity. That isn't even as strong as the air you can, it's thick in that part of the country. And I, that part of the country, I would not live there. That's fine. Now, when you got family there, they got a good church to go to, that makes a big difference. But if I was picking, I would not live in northwest Indiana. I would have much, I, I, and I loved, I, in all reality, I loved Mazeppa, Minnesota way more than I loved northwest Indiana. That little town, the green tree, everything. Was it still humid there and cold? Yes, but it wasn't northwest Indiana. You know, it's like the, northwest Indiana is technically just a suburb of Chicago. It's not much different, and it's just, it's just an, uh, some good food places and some good things like that. But when you live five minutes away from Gary, Indiana, it just says a lot, you know? It's right there. You just can't get away. And you think about it, and I love living in California. I hate the prices of everything. I don't like the politics. But when you got the beach 30 minutes away, the mountains 30 minutes away, I think, and the weather, for the most part, it gets hot a little bit. But overall, you realize the next couple days will be like in a, a hundred, but then said so if they're right, it'll be in the 80s after that for a while. In the month of June, it didn't get above 85. And the winter, it might get 32, but it's like 4 in the morning when it's 32 degrees. But even some of the best places on earth, it just doesn't matter. Heaven, nothing compares to heaven. Why is the, why is the, heaven, why is the new sanctuary better? It's in heaven. It's an obvious one. Letter B. Letter B. Because it effectively deals with sin. The old sanctuary didn't effectively deal with sin. It just covered it up. Look at verse 12 to verse 15. It says, Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of the heifer sprinkled the unclean, sanctifieth the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And for this cause he's the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, they that are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance." You see, it effectively deals with sin. Where the old one, it just covered it up till the next year when the priest would go in and just cover it up. When we see that it effectively deals with sin, we see here there are some contrasts showed to us. The first one, number one, is the difference between animal sacrifices and Christ's sacrifice. Animal sacrifices had to keep being made. Christ's sacrifice was made one time. Christ's sacrifice is much better than the blood of animals. Us saying in this room today, we realize his blood saved us. His blood is still saving people. He died once for all. That kind of does away with some Catholic doctrine there, huh? He died once for all. He isn't continuing to die. He died 
once for all. He's not hanging on a cross still. He died once for all. His blood, his sacrifice is greater than the sacrifice of animals. You'll notice it mentions the ashes of heifers. Do you realize that the Jews have a heifer ready for for their third temple? They got the furniture ready. They got the heifer ready. They're waiting for that third temple. And when you see that third temple, and I don't think it's that far off, you know we're getting closer to the end because that third temple plays a key role in the last seven years of everything. We're talking about some of that stuff on Wednesday nights in the book of Revelation if you're interested. Nice little plug there, right? So we see some contrast here. We see the animal sacrifices and Christ's sacrifice. Number two, we see the difference between ceremonial cleansings and conscience cleansing. The old covenant sanctuary, there were ceremonial things that happened to purify things, but didn't purify the heart. Only Christ could do that. Only his sacrifice could do that. And we see these things in the Spirit of God, as it mentions here, does this, purges our conscience and cleans us. And then we see, thirdly, we see the difference between temporary blessing and eternal blessing. The blessing under the old covenant depended on God's people's obedience to God. If they obeyed God, God blessed them. If they didn't, God didn't bless them. And that's where, do you ever see how we in Christianity, we kind of fall in line with this? God's only going to bless me if I do this for him. Get it all wrong. If you're only, God's going to bless me by me doing, I hear people, I tithe because God's going to bless me. First off, that's a terrible reason to give to God if it's only for you, for him to bless you. It's a terrible reason to do it. You should give to God because you love him after all he's done for you. And God wants it to be a cheerful giver. Necessity, there's a lot that could be said with all of that there. But if, unless I give, God's not going to bless my, me. You literally are reverting back to the old covenant. If I don't do this, then God won't bless me. Now, there are times God chastens his children, though, right? But God doesn't look at me and bless me a certain way because of things that I do, because my righteousness is like a filthy rag. I am blessed today because of Jesus Christ and what he has done. I cannot change any, and say, well, why do people say that? People, and I get it. I would much rather you live for Jesus and serve Jesus than go live and do the things of this world. I'd much rather you do that. I'd much rather you live a separated Christian life and live for God. It's a much better life. But those that say you get so much more with God and you get in an inner circle with God by doing this and God loves you more by more that you do, that's not true. God loves you today based on his son, Jesus Christ. And when God looks at you that are saved in this room, he doesn't see your works and what you do. He sees his son's righteousness on you and me. Yes, live for him. Do what's right. Serve him. We should. But if you're doing it because you think you're going to get something better from God, he's already given you everything he's going to give you. But those, the, old, the old sanctuary, it's not even there anymore, is it? The heavenly sanctuary, it's still there. And no one can do anything about it. There were times that enemies would come to Israel and take, take it. Remember the Philistines took the Ark of the Covenant? And I love they take the Ark of the Covenant and sit in the temple with their God. 
And the next thing you know, their God is face down in front of him. I love God's sense of humor. God has a sense of humor. I know he has a sense of humor by how he made some of you in this room too, but I'm talking about by making that flat, you totally see it. But as we look here, there's some contrast here, but what happens is it effectively dealt with sin, this new sanctuary where the old one just passed it on. Number three, let's keep on moving here. Why the sanctuary is better, the new one? It's based on a costly sacrifice. Look at verse 16 through verse 23. Look what it says here. It says, For where a testament is, and this word testament, covenant, or for us. Let's think of it this way today. Um, Maybe you have a will or a trust, right? People do that. And so there's a reason why you do that. Well, look at this here. So look look at verse 16. It says, for where a testament, or where, let's just use a will. Let's use a will in this spot. For where a will is, there must also be necessity be the death of the person making the will. You can have a will in place and it written on paper, but till the person dies, it doesn't do you any good, right? So keep reading. For a testament is a force after men are dead. It only goes into play and goes Put, it gets put in order once someone passes away. Otherwise, it is of no strength at all while the testator liveth. Whereupon neither the first testament was dedicated without blood. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and of goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book and all the people. How would you like that? How do you like to get sprinkled with blood? of animals. Yeah, keep on reading. It says, saying, this is the blood of the testament which God hath enjoined unto you. Moreover, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry, and almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without shedding of blood there is no remission. It was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in the heaven should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. And, you know, the author's setting it up perfectly here. Because we'll see next week that Christ is a better sacrifice. Do you see how that's all? It's just, it's just, it's like it's written perfectly through here, and it is. So as we look here, we see this, that covenant not only means agreement, but it carries the idea of the last will and testament. And as I mentioned, someone must die for it to go into effect. The old covenant was established by blood, on the basis of blood. Not only was it, but the new covenant was. It's where Jesus said in Luke twenty two twenty, Likewise also the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new testament in my blood, which is shed for you. And when we look at this, we see the fact that Christ and what he did, and the fact that his sacrifice was a perfect sacrifice, it makes the sanctuary just that much better. Fourthly, letter D, we're almost done. The ministry that the sanctuary represents, the new sanctuary, it represents fulfillment. Look at verse 24. For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. We are not depending on a high priest to go in every year and to offer a sacrifice for us. We can depend on a high priest, Jesus Christ, 
who entered once for all into the heavenly sanctuary, and he is there today. And thank God for that. We see letter E, and we're just about done here. We see that why is it better? Its ministry is final and complete. You know, every year when the priest offered, when the high priest offered the blood on the whole, on the mercy seat, it wasn't final. It was just till the next year. And the next year after that, and the next year after that, and the next year after that. Look at verse 25. Not yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest entered the holy place every year with blood of others. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now, once in the end of the world, hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as the appointed of men once to die, but after this the judgment, so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. And unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Now, as we look at those last few verses, you'll notice there in your notes, I put a little table there for you. And the difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. The Old Covenant had repeated sacrifices. The New Covenant's one sacrifice. The Old Covenant was the blood of others, the blood of animals. The New Covenant's by Jesus' own blood. The Old Covenant just was covering sin. The New Covenant put away sin. The Old Covenant was for Israel only. The New Covenant is for all sinners. Um... The Old Covenant left the Holy of Holies. The New Covenant entered into heaven and remains there. The Old Covenant came out to bless the people. The New Covenant will come to take his people to heaven. You'll notice as we look at that phrase between verse 24 and 28, the word appeared happens three times, which explains to us what Christ is doing. It sums up his work. Look at verse 26 at the end there. It says, But now... Once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. You see the fact that he appeared, he came, died on the cross, put away our sin. Verse 24 tells us that at the bottom there it says, But into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for us. So he appeared and died for our sins and took away our sin. He appears in heaven See it at the right hand of God, interceding for us. And then in verse 28, it says that he's going to appear the second time without sin unto salvation. And you say, well, was Jesus with sin the first time? No, he was not. He was sinless. But he took our sin upon him. The next time he comes, he's not having to put our sin back on him because he completed that the first time. And you talk about the rapture and the second coming of the Lord, right there in verse 28. You see it there. None of them that look for him that he shall appear the second time. He's coming again. And what a day that's going to be.